0: Man. All right. It's been awesome being with you guys uh, the past couple of days here. And um, wow, what a awesome time of worship to be able to sing together. Um, uh, I'm calling a little bit of an audible right now. We're actually changing up the sermon, which I'm telling you so that if it's awful, then you know why. Uh, <laughs> So I wasn't preparing for this, but just kind of as I was praying and thinking about um, just kind of what God's put on my heart and for you all as well, and as uh, I've just been able to talk to some of you all, it's just been such a joy getting to know this community. And I'm ready to resign from my church to just join y'all, be one of your congregation members. Uh, Actually, I was talking to my wife, and I'm like, hey, you know what? Next year, we can go to this cool retreat at Lower Manhattan Community Church down in Princeton. Um, So, and she was actually very excited about that. Um, so, I, we're going to kind of switch it up here a little bit, and, um, and I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, give the sermon, and then we'll sing a few more songs, and during that time, we'll also have a time just to pray, so, and if people need prayer. So, and I'll mention that again at the end, but will you join me again in just a word of prayer here tonight? Father, you have no rival, you have no equal. Yours is the glory, yours is the kingdom. God, we wouldn't be here at this retreat and we wouldn't be here tonight and we wouldn't be kind of on this journey with you unless we believe that, unless we believed that whatever kind of roadblocks that there might be, whatever kind of things and obstacles that might reside in our own hearts and in the world around us, unless we believe that you are a God of breakthrough, that you are a God who can do anything, And Father, I just pray that tonight, I pray that you would meet us in a real way. I pray that you, that we would come trusting and eager and longing for you to break through into our lives in the areas where we might be feeling stuck or inhibited or addicted or whatever it might be, God, that you might break through. We believe in your power. We believe in your glory. We believe in your resurrection spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, well, you guys know, I mean, it's, we're doing this sermon, but it's actually very much related to this theme that we've been on. And tonight I wanted to talk about this idea of growing into an emotionally healthy adult. And uh, we're going to look at a few passages from Scripture about what this might look like. Um, but we've actually been looking at this uh, image, and it's the image of an iceberg, of course, that 90% is below the surface, and then there's this 10% above the surface. There's this kind of this inertia of religious and Christian communities that sometimes drive us to simply operate at that 10% level. And, and the problem with this is, is that we can come and we can have these titles, and I can even be pastor, and I can even kind of be learned and do research and know a lot about the Bible, and yet that 90%, what you may not know about me, is that I'm super irritable at home when I'm with my spouse. Uh, you know, I can be someone who has this title, or I'm a business person who um, might be a great leader in the business field, but I might be someone who secretly has an addiction, and that 90% is is part of that and it's kind of the secret part of us and really the kind of the invitation that we've been talking about this entire weekend has been this invitation to let God have all of us, not just this 10% part of us, not just this manicured type of spirituality where we can kind of kinda come in and out and be able to to play the game, the spirituality game, but yet not allow God into that 90%. And so we've been working with this thesis and it's from Pete Scazzaro and he says this. He says, uh, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally uh, immature. Um, It's so easy to, to, again, play the game, have this manicured spirituality and yet not allow God into the deepest parts of who we are. Now in this whole spiritual journey, um, Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter to the early church, uh, to the church in Galatians, when he talks about What does spiritual maturity look like? What does it mean to live by the Spirit and not by our own flesh? And that's the juxtaposition that he makes, especially to the church in Galatia, which is this early church and this burgeoning movement of Christianity. And this is what he writes about what the spiritual life is like. In in Galatians chapter 5, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, these are the marks of what kind of spiritual maturity look like. Now, if you notice, but these things, especially this kind of fruit of the Spirit, things, these things are somewhat hard to measure. You can't put certain metrics on these and be like, hey, how much you know, of a loving person have you been? Of course, you could put different metrics on different things, but a lot of these things, these are part of the inner life. And notice that the metaphor that's used about the spiritual life is this metaphor of fruit. Uh, in many ways, that makes sense, because in the ancient world, which was largely agricultural, um, I didn't realize that apples don't come from gristides, they come from farms. Um, as a New Yorker, I just didn't realize that. Um, now, of course, if you ever grew up in kind of an agricultural background, I've heard that it takes kind of an environment for that to grow into ripened, healthy fruit, Um, I've been told it takes sunshine and soil and nice trees and just kind of an environment that's conducive for fruit to grow. But it's not only that, it's also, it it takes time. Fruit is not, it doesn't say, but the Uber of the spirit, right? Uber being like the cab, right? The on-demand, the Uber Eats, the Uber Cab, whatever it might be, kind of the on-demand spirituality where I just kind of give one prayer and then boom, God now, that does happen at times, and I wish it happened more often, especially when it relates to the New York Jets. But <laughs> but we all know, right, that spirituality and health and fruit growing takes time and an environment to be nurtured with care. And so Paul, actually, when he talks about the spiritual life in another letter to the church in Philippi, he writes this. He writes, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed not only my presence, but now much more my absence, continue to now check this out. He says, work out your salvation with fear. And trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, there's this part of our faith then where there's fruit that's gonna take time and an environment for it to be nurtured. But there's also this part that we're supposed to work out our salvation. We're supposed to kind of put in the hard work of growing and changing and molding. That we're constantly evolving. Now, if you're anything like me, when I hear this passage, um, sometimes I get a little stunned because this seems to go against the instinct of what I've learned about what the gospel is. Because the gospel, like in the, the, the book of Ephesians, when Paul writes this, when Paul writes, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith that is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I mean, there's, there's kind of this tension then, right? Because on one hand, Paul is saying, hey, there's fruit that grows and there's an environment that it takes for it to grow in. You're supposed to work out your salvation. You are never a finished product. But on the other hand, there's also this dynamic that what we know and what we believe as Christians is that it's all dependent on God, his grace in our lives, and it's by his grace, and we shouldn't boast in our own works. So what gives? Well, it is this tension, And uh, Leighton Ford, who's a mentor of mine, he would put it this way when he talks about the Christian life. This is what he says. He says, God loves you the way you are. There's the grace part, right? He loves you the way you are. He's embraced you the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. Doesn't matter how far you come. Doesn't matter what kind of titles you hold. Doesn't matter kind of how far you've advanced in your career. Doesn't matter how long I've been a pastor even. God loves me the way I am, but He loves me too much to leave me the way that I am. He's calling me to grow like fruit. Now, some of us are in different places in the journey, and some of us came from different places in the journey, but this is the task of spiritual maturity that we're supposed to come to God, be all in, and basically say, God, I want to be like fruit that grows. And I don't want to put myself in environments like that, and I want to work out my salvation while receiving this, knowing that You love me the way I am. So another kind of image that I want to point you to, aside from the image of an iceberg, is this image. Now, it kind of makes sense, right? There's this image of a tree that's bearing fruit, and then there's these roots that go deeply down. And... Uh it's kind of only out of this kind of environment where with roots that go deep down that healthy fruit can grow on these trees. Now, as we've talked about emotionally unhealthy spirituality and we've talked about this whole idea of what does it mean for us to let God into that 90% or let God into the roots so that fruit can be born out of our lives. I wanted to list out some of the things that I think what, what kind of emotionally unhealthy spirituality look like. Um, And I can, you know, put some Bible verses up there as well, but I'm just going to go by some of these one by one. So the first thing is low self-awareness, low self-awareness, or I call that pride. So an emotionally unhealthy person is someone who probably is not necessarily aware of the, the ways in which they come off to others and the ways in which they might be hurting other people and the ways in which they might be carrying themselves Uh, And I call that pride. Now, I recently kind of read in a research study, um, and uh, it was in a book. And uh, because I didn't prepare for this sermon, I can't tell you exactly where the study was from. But I'll find it for you if you come find me later. But I remember what it said was that basically a study was done about um, self-awareness. And uh, after they got the results of this survey, what they found is that something like 95% of the people who took the survey thought they were in the top 1% of self-awareness. Now, I'm not very good at math, but uh, that's just impossible. Can you believe that? The person next to you thinks that they're so self-aware. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, right, but isn't that true? Like most of us kind of, we, we think that we're, the ones who are incredibly self-aware, we often think that we're in the top 1%. I mean, isn't this like this? I mean, I know that in, a, in the conflict with my spouse, it's so easy to be able to point out, hey, this is the way that you're emotionally unhealthy, um, and somehow be lost in maybe the ways that I need to grow. See, an emotionally unhealthy kind of behaviors is to have low self-awareness. The second thing I want to talk about is poor emotional controls. By poor emotional controls, I'm talking about impulsion. You know, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about patience, um, kindness, goodness, and all these kinds of things. But oftentimes, there are poor emotional controls that can get us tripped up. And instead of living out the Ephesians 4 type of kind of speaking with grace and truth, we are people instead who either miss out on the grace part or miss out on the truth part. And somehow, it all gets tangled up. And and unwholesome talk often comes out of our mouths the third thing that I want to talk about is inadequate communication skills some of us meanwhile uh, when it comes to communication and conflict resolution we simply tend to be contentious people and uh, we're critical and we're um, we, have, we don't have the skills to communicate with one another well now part of the reason we're, now where does, where do all of these kind of emotionally unhealthy practices come from well obviously it comes from our own sinfulness And every single one of us is a sinner. That's what we believe as Christians. That's why all of us say that we need Jesus is because all of us are sinners who need help. And the reality is the task of Christian formation is this task of growing, like putting down roots deep down so that we can bear fruit. And part of that whole scaffolding process, part of that whole growing process is sowing into changing and reforming certain habits that we had the problem is that one of the things that have most kind of um, impacted us as it relates to our formation is usually our family of origin. And scripture talks about this at different times as well. When it talks about sins to the second and third generations and so on and so forth. There's all sorts of things. There's our culture that informs the way that we want to live. And there's, there's our culture, there's our family of origin, there's all sorts of ways that inform us to live a certain way that goes apart from the ways of God. And I wanted to talk about kind of family of origin right now, and uh, I wanted to to land here um, and then kind of talk a little bit more about this, just because um, I know that for myself, I've kind of been on this journey myself of um, hopefully becoming more healthy. And uh, by no means, I mean, like Thomas Merton often says that all of us are always beginners at prayer and I feel like I'm always a beginner. Um, Doesn't it feel that way sometimes where you feel like you're you're taking three steps forward, then two steps back, maybe even four steps back sometimes, and then doesn't it feel like the Christian journey is like that sometimes? We're always beginners. The big key for all of us is, are we in a disposition where we want to be broken, where we want to grow, where we want to say, God, I don't have everything figured out, and I want to change to become a better husband, to become a better wife, become a better parent, become a better friend, whatever it might be. Um, Now, Family tends to shape us in different ways related to our emotional health, and I'm going to put up this chart here, and here's a chart. Now, if you notice in this chart, this is kind of the way, developmentally, that perhaps some of us were raised, right? There's on the left side, right, on the x-axis, there's this level of emotional intensity, or is that y? Uh, y. Sorry. Uh, pastor and uh and then there's this developmental process that we have so as we get older right and so I right now I have a five-year-old and a one-year-old at home and here's basically the process right and initially there's an emotional need that comes and the emotional need comes for my one-year-old right now whenever she wants anything that my five-year-old is playing with she just starts to "Ah!" she cries and so she begins to cry. And then what ends up happening, of course, it gets fulfilled somehow. Hey, Avery, we're, you know, we, we saw you crying. And I don't say all this stuff, right? I just give her the cookie. Um, I, right. But, <laughs> but there's a way in which as a parent, my natural instinct for, for especially an infant as they're growing, that when they have the an emotional need, I'm gonna fulfill that need. And then what happens is the emotional intensity just becomes lessened the next time it happens because she begins to grow and become formed in this way that she believes something about herself, about the environment that she grows up in. And then there's growth. And then there's a new emotional need. And the level of emotional intensity doesn't really get as high Obviously, with nature and nurture, there's all sorts of different ways that that can go. But nonetheless, this is generally when we are, we're in an environment, in a healthy environment, this is generally the way that we can develop. Now, compare this to this other chart. So, for instance, if there's an emotional need, Ah! Right? What does Avery do? She, ah! And she doesn't, we're not there to soothe her needs. Let's even take this way back to when she was an infant, from, you know, one to three months. Ah! Emotional need, no one answers. So what is she left with? Ah! Right, like even more. There's even more emotional intensity. And then if that gets unfulfilled, it becomes an emotional demand. If it becomes an emotional demand, if that gets unfulfilled, then it becomes an emotional necessity. Now, it's easy to somehow mask some of this and it can turn into kind of this inordinate type of ambition or this inordinate type of drive, or this inordinate kind of addictive behavior. But oftentimes, in the environments that we grew up in, um, we tend to be shaped by these emotional needs that we had. And no family is perfect. Every single family, even the great families, all have their different gaps. But in many ways, our families tend to inform this. And it ends up shaping the way that we enter into our new families. It ends up shaping the way that we enter into the workplace. It ends up shaping the way that we begin to treat one another, the way that we would become parents, the way that we begin to treat our spouses, and so on and so forth. Now, from this kind of idea, there's also this thing that we like to talk about at our church, and it's called emotional allergies. Now, emotional allergies are basically something like this. Like an allergy, just like springtime. I know that as it was warmer the past couple of days, like, I have really bad springtime allergies. So I've got like five bottles of Flonase um, carried with me at all times, you know? And, um, and just like springtime allergies, I don't know where it's coming, but all of a sudden, oh, right? Swollen, can't control what's happening. My eyes start to water and start to itch and I'm sneezing all over the place. Like that kind of allergies hit us. We don't know where they, you know, we don't know when they're coming. They just come. It's this natural physical reaction. Some of us have what I would call emotional allergies. There are these things that, based on our woundedness, based on some of the emotional unhealth, things that have been unfulfilled, that have become emotional needs, and then emotional demands, and then emotional necessities. Some of us have these types of emotional allergies, and they erupt, and the people that we're closest to are the ones that can often see them, uh, because, again, we're all not very self-aware, so I'll give you this example Like one of my emotional allergies I remember one time Tina was um, She said to me She was leaving the house And I was with the two kids And she said to me She said Don't, fe- don't forget to feed David And uh, she says Don't forget to feed David And I was like Don't forget to feed David What do you think? you think? You think I'm like a bad parent? You think I'm not going to feed our kid? Like come on Are you serious? Of course I'm going to feed David Is that really, I can't believe this. No one appreciates me here. Why did you even marry me? You know what, do you want to divorce? Like it was, yeah. Now, of course, that's kind of an exaggerated example of I probably had, you know, not eaten enough that day or not slept enough. But she actually touched on something that for me has been an emotional allergy. Emotional allergy for me is um, like when, when David was born, our son, I had all these, I had such a kind of a, in a difficult, acrimonious relationship with my father that, you know, when our son was born, I I had all these, like, dreams that my son would be like, my boy. You know, like, that's my boy. Like, he's gonna be just like me. (laughs) And I'm gonna, man, have this great relationship with him, the kind of relationship that my dad never had with me. And it just so happened that for the first five years of his life, even to this day, mom is number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five. I mean, it is so hard to break through with this kid. I've tried everything. I've tried smothering. I've tried candy. I mean, I've totally tried to spoil him and let him get whatever he wants. But somehow, and people have always told me, they're like, oh, don't worry, as he gets older, it'll change. Still hasn't changed, guys. And... Uh, But I realized like part of that emotional, I I have a wound there because I really desperately want to get liked for my son to think that I'm his superhero dad. And uh, he doesn't. And so there's kind of an allergy there and that allergy of just being liked and loved and being secure. I feel insecure in our family. And as a result, when my wife makes this innocuous comment, has this ever happened to you where you make a comment to someone? Maybe it's in your workplace or maybe it's in your uh, in your relationship at home where there's just this emotional allergy, right? And, and the person who makes this comment, right? So Tina, right? She says, hey, don't forget to feed David. What, what are you talking about? I can't believe you're even saying this. Do you want to like divorce me? Like, it's just kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just said, I was just trying to remind you. I'm going to leave now, right? I mean, isn't it like that though? That there are these emotional allergies that begin to trigger us and they begin based on different things. Now, it's unique to every single one of us. Every single one of us has them in different ways. And then when you throw in the halt, right? Alcoholics Anonymous talks about that. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. When you throw all that in at one time, it becomes even more difficult to manage some of these emotional allergies. I don't know what kind of environment that you grew up in, But what are some of the things where you have an overreaction to things? And perhaps it's because somewhere developmentally, it was there. Now, but there's not only emotional allergies, but I wanted to talk about something else called love knots. Lori Gordon wrote a book, and she's kind of the author of this curriculum called Pairs. And she talks about these things called love -love knots. And love knots are these basic kind of um, ways in which today we, earlier today, we talked about this whole idea of wants and needs. And we even talked about how some of us tend to, especially in New York, to be kind of this self-sufficient New Yorker who's got everything under control, right? Uh, sorry about the axe; I don't know where that came from. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there's this, there's, this, there's this pressure, right, to have it all together, to be someone who knows what I'm doing and know where I'm going and to be this leader, to never ask for help, to have any wants or needs. Now, love knots can relate to that as well, because love knots, much like emotional allergies, are these things in us where we have a difficult time both giving and receiving love. So, for instance, a love knot is uh, if Tina, if I say to Tina, I say, "You know, you you just you don't regularly tell me that you love me," and then Tina says. Okay, I, I love you. Well, you're just saying that because, because I told you that you don't regularly tell me that you love me. And then she's like, okay. And then I'll be like, so why, why don't you tell me that you love me? Right? So what love knots are, it's basically when someone is damned if they do or they're damned if they don't. And because of different ways in which we've been formed and different ways in which we receive love, we're able to ask for help. We, we can put other people that are trying to love us into these impossible situations because somehow there's these love knots that have tangled up our kind of receptors to the ways that we receive love. Uh, I know that I have some significant ones. I'm even just talking about my own life. And that's a real life example for Tina and I, where she's constantly pitted in this situation where she's like, I'm not so sure how to love you. Now, in all of these different ways, what they demonstrate to us is obviously we've been formed in different ways, right? And God wants us to grow into health, but due to emotional allergies, due to different ways in which we kind of behave and do our thing, we can often miss out on growing because we're stuck. There are these love knots, there are these emotional allergies that we're always going through, and it's so difficult to break through. Richard Rohr, who's one of my favorite authors, he actually says this. Oh, yeah, there you go, yes. Um, here's what Father Rohr says He's a Franciscan priest. He says, Pain that is not transformed is transferred. isn't that true pain that is not transformed is transferred Um, there are these moments where I I have these moments where I my son um, like I mentioned to you I've kind of been on my own journey where I've so I so want my son to think the world of me and um And I I remember, like, kind of early on in his life where he just so preferred mom. Part of me was a bit ashamed to even, like, admit that. Um, But he so preferred mom. And so there would be some times when, like, as he was growing up, right? He's five now, but he, you know, I would go in and Tina's like, oh, can you read him a story or something or like, Sure. So I go and I read him a story. And you got to understand, like, growing up, my father was just so absent. Like, when he was around, he was super violent, but he, when he was around, he was never doing things like reading stories. And so there's a part of me that feels like, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm changing the script here, you know? So here I am willing to sit down with my son. And my son says to me, I want Amma, right? What? Like, David, I'm going to read this story to you right now, right? Like, (laughs) like, I kind of, and he's like, no, I want Amma to read. And I'm just like, David, Amma's not coming right now. I'm reading this story to you right now, okay? Do you understand, right? And like, I'm arguing with this two-year-old. He hit some triggers in me. He hit some Love knots, he, he was, he was, he's this two year old boy, all sorts of stories and unfulfilled emotional needs are just, and here's this two year old, and um, and uh, he said, Appa, I want Amma. And I remember saying to him, All right, fine. I got up and I left. And Tina said to me, she goes, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come with me and we'll read together. I was like, no, he wants you. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, Drew, David, I, I think he, it would be really meaningful for him to have you there as well. I was like, no, he wants you. And I went off, I went on my computer, I just started to go to work on church stuff, do more holy stuff, you know? (laughs) Like, talk about emotional health and, you know? (laughs) So that I can teach on it and tell you. And I I just immediately had this impression, like, um, like flashbacks of my own childhood, and I realized I just wanted to pour myself into my work and I have that tendency to be a workaholic as well. It comes again from my family of origin, which we'll talk about tomorrow, but I'm just pouring myself into, my, into what I'm doing, like just trying to just ignore this and to not feel this way and to just get over it. And then the kind of this thing, like the spirit of God just kind of hit me where there was this moment where I just like was, was, was so convicted that I, I was starting to replay the same story. That my father replayed in our own life—the story of my dad not being around—and then I even began to have sympathy for my dad for the ways in which we totally preferred my mom (laughs) over him, and some of that was all mixed in. But how my dad was very absent, and that was a longing that I deeply needed as a kid, and I never had. And I and I started to justify myself. You know what? Though he doesn't want me. We'll see what happens in 10 years, right? Like, I mean, like there's all these ways that I'm justifying it in my own heart and mind. And it takes everything in me. It takes generations, generations of emotional needs and demands and hurts. It takes generations of being formed a certain way about the way that men are in our family and in our culture. It took generations, it's like this, like something needs to break through. It takes everything in me to, to close the laptop, to walk over, to sit down, and to hear my wife read goodnight moon to my son. <laughs> uh, and I just, it just, like everything in me just wants to run. I mean, isn't it true that that pain that is not transformed is transferred. Now, I, I, kind of, I've been through kind of years of therapy just to go through the process of just healing and having more sympathy for my own childhood upbringing. And uh, you know, my kids will have their own set of issues now. But what I do know. I said, God loves me the way that I am. And he, he saved me. He loves me. He sacrificed for me and for our family. And he's, it's all grace. He loves me the way I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay that way. If, if somebody does not break this generational pattern, if someone does not break this generational curse, then I'll leave it up to the next generation. And here's the the enormous opportunity and the beauty of this moment and this day as you're part of this church is that today you can make a decision to say, I want to be like a tree planted next to living water. I want to bear fruit that lasts. I want to work out my salvation. I want to be someone who breaks the generational patterns. I want to be someone who these love knots, I begin to untie them. I want to be someone who becomes more aware of the ways in which I'm hurtful instead of less aware. Today can be the day, and this church can be the community in which today you can make that choice, where you can say, God, I want you to break through. I want you to break through. Because pain that's not transformed is transferred now, for those of you who grew up in healthy environments um, it, is, it was so beautiful being in the, uh, the the workshop earlier for young kids and just did a phenomenal job and just hearing stories of healthy families and kind of healthy patterns, I just so commend you. And I I want, I think, man, if we can continue to cultivate families um, like that and cultivate kind of generations and a culture in which we can be healthy in our workplaces and families and as single people, what a beautiful thing that would be. But even still, even still for those of you who grew up with a relatively healthy emotional capacity, what if today that you could be models, but you could also be people who say, God, you love me the way I am, but you, you also want me to grow, and you want me to extend that love to others and to help cultivate the kind of community where we're in it together, that we're in this struggle together, that we're in this process of helping each other love each other better together, that we would be in this process as a community who work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that fruit would be born in our lives. You know, the amazing thing is that this is what the the spiritual journey was like, and this isn't just some self-help talk, right, because the prophets of old would talk about what what does this life with God thing look like? And the prophet Ezekiel would actually write um, about what does this life look like? And this is what the prophet Ezekiel writes. He says, I will give you, when he talks about the people of God, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Don't you love this image? Like a heart of stone is one that is callous and hard and calculated and self-sufficient, but a heart of flesh is one that's broken, Open and willing to be molded and changed. In the book of Romans, in the New Testament, Paul would write to the church in Rome He said, Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that your mind would begin to change. I mean, don't you love this image too, that the ways that you think, all those thought patterns, right? When Tina tells me, hey, uh, don't forget to feed David, immediately I'm like, don't forget to feed David. I can't believe you're saying that. I can't believe you're judging me. Man, you know what? Same way that David doesn't want me around, do you not want me around either? Why don't you stay home then and I'll go to work, Uh, right? Like there's all sorts of thoughts that begin to change. But like Paul's talking about renewing your mind, not being conformed to the pattern Of this world, but renewing your mind. I mean, don't you love these images of what the spiritual life is like? The spiritual life talks about this, right? It's having a new heart. Um, Go to the next slide. New heart, a new spirit, and a new mind that God wants to break through in such a profound way that it's not just behavior modification. It's not just, hey, work harder, Or it's not just, hey, I'm going to give you a list of things to do and not do. It's actually, I want to give you a new spirit. I want to give you a new heart. A heart that's flesh. A heart that's not hardened to the work of God. I want to give you a new mind. I want to do something brand new in you. I want to change your heart, your spirit, your mind. I want to transform those love knots. I want to heal some of those emotional allergies. I want to love you the way you are, but love you enough not to leave you that way. See, but the beautiful thing about God, it's not only a new heart, a new spirit, and a new mind. Check out this other metaphor that life with God is like it's a new family. Go to the next slide. It says in Galatians 4, 6 or 7, Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Some of us are too used to living like orphans, too used to living like slaves, And so a lot of our emotional allergies, a lot of our love knots is because we're used to living out of an orphan theology or a slave theology. And here God is saying, I'm gonna put a new spirit in you, a spirit that can call out, Abba, Father, that will melt away your shame, melt away those love knots that will break through the areas of your own life and your own heart that are hardened I want to be a new father to you. I want to invite you into a new family, the family of God, family of God where you're not alone, where I love you the way you are, but I love you enough not to leave you that way. John 1.12 says this, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called children of God. See, it's not only a new heart, it's not only a new spirit, it's not only a new mind, It's also a new family. That we are all children of God working this thing out together. The areas in which we have lacked, the areas in which we have been hurt, the areas in which we feel like we don't have it all together, that we can gather around a table, a feast, a retreat, a church. And in our city which is a city that is so much about, I can do this on my own. We can be the family of God who can welcome people and invite them into relationships where we can say, hey, we love you the way you are, but we love you too much to leave you that way. We can be the kind of family who can love our kids and the next generation in ways in which they might grow knowing that there's a savior who loves them. There's a whole church family behind them who loves them and loves them enough that they love them the way they are but loves you too much to leave you that way. And there's a new family of God in each other with each other where to survive and not only survive but to thrive in our city we have a chance. It's when we can live into this idea that we are a new family. A lot of this is individual. First, we receive from God, God, you are my Abba Father. You are the Father who loves away all of the ways in which perhaps my earthly parents or whatever people that were supposed to love me did not love me. You are the one who is perfect and true. But also, we're in this new family where together we can live out what it means to have a new heart, a new spirit and a new mind. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite um, the worship team is going to come forward and we're going to sing together. But um, while we do that, I'm just going to invite you just to bow your heads and we're going to invite some folks that are going to be praying in the back right now. And uh, here's what I want to do I just want you to. I want to ask this question. What are the areas of your life? What's that 90% below the surface? Or what are so, some of those areas? Maybe it's addictive behavior. Maybe it's kind of an emotional allergy. Maybe it's something in your own life where you, you just, you feel stuck. Maybe it's just you have, you're just coasting right now, you know? Maybe you're feeling incredibly lonely. Maybe you're feeling stuck I want want you to know today today can be the day we can start writing a new story we can invite God to give us a new heart one that is soft and fleshy not one that is hard and like stone one that is moldable give us a new spirit a new mind and a new family, and together we could do this guys together. Father, I pray that uh, tonight that we would want to make this commitment to wherever we are in our spiritual journeys, to not be satisfied with some of the areas in our life that we know might be displeasing to you and hurtful to others. Um, And I know that some of us are actually pretty far along the journey, but today we want to make a commitment to say, God, give us hearts of flesh. Give us a spirit that calls out to you. Give us new minds so that some of the faulty patterns of thinking in my workplace or at home or as a parent or as a single person or as a married person, Lord, renew my mind and let me receive your love as an Abba Father who loves me the way I am, but loves me way too much to leave me that way. God, will you break through tonight? We confess that there are areas of our lives that we want you to break through. I pray that you would break through. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.